Hi, I'm Maeve Marsden and welcome to Queer Stories, the podcast for the LGBTQI plus storytelling night I host and program. Queer Stories events happen regularly in Sydney, Brisbane and Melbourne, and I'm also now hosting them in regional towns. If you enjoy these stories, please rate, review and subscribe to the podcast and consider buying a copy of the Queer Stories book, a collection of 26 of the stories edited by me and published by Hachette. I'm really proud of this collection and I hope you enjoy it too. Virginia Seymour is an ecologist and a well-known legend in the local area around Lismore where she performed this story. She's known for her environmental advocacy and restoration efforts. An ex-chef, gender non-conformist, recovered alcoholic and all-round handy hero, Virginia is lovingly referred to as MacGyver or MacGaver. Please enjoy. My name is Virginia, Ginia, Gin, Virg, Virgil, Firmo, MacGaver, and I'm an alcoholic. I'm mostly of Irish, Scottish, British coal mining, gold digging descendants with a predisposition to alcoholism and gayness. <laughs> and that explains a lot of things. I grew up on a Wabakal country, uh, a place I knew then as the uh, coal mining, wine growing epicentre of the Hunter Valley, New South Wales. I remember as a young child how I felt relief when mum drove through the bottle at the end of the day because it meant our folk could be happy for a time with uh, their self-medicated needs met. Uh, the, the focus would be off the kids and onto frivolity and uh, disassociation. Usually it took till after dinner, but words would slur and wires would cross and boundaries would be smashed. And before you knew it, mum and dad would be kung fu fighting down the hallway. And before you uh, jump to any conclusions, mum was the heavyweight in our parentship. However bad that all sounds, the family wasn't completely devoid of structure and stability and ritual. There was a schedule of sorts and I was the hero child. Uh, the one who prepared the school lunches, cooked dinners, cleaned house, ironed everything except the socks. I chopped wood, lit fires and uh, whilst babysitting the uh, younger siblings, or squabbling, as it may be perceived. And all this before mum came home, or else. Sadly, my reliable quick fire start technique using the fence palings for kindling was uh, exposed. <laughs> <laughs> and like many children of alcoholics, I was afforded a niche set of survival skills, also known as superpowers. These included, and not limited to, hypervigilance, people-pleasing, problem-solving, and self-reliance. Early evidence of my niche dysfunctional superpowers were when I drop-rolled mum to put her out when she caught fire in front of the open fireplace, just like we'd learned at school. <laughs> or by pulling my own financial weight while I was at high school through having part-time jobs. I did try taking on a second uh, part-time job at KFC. Um, on my first day, I was issued a brown dress, <laughs> skin-toned pantyhose, size tall, and a name badge that said Melanie. <laughs> All this and the smell of fried chicken was enough for me to realise the gravity of what I'd done. And this was the cost of self-reliance. 
Fast forward many years and I found myself as an ecologist working out southwestern Queensland conducting koala surveys. Having never been to the region before, I was really taken aback by the big sky, for one, and the rich, dry, red dirt. Dry as my mouth. <laughs> and the stark absence of green. My experience, mostly alone out west, was rich and spiked with mind-blowing and eye-popping experiences. I saw fledgling pelicans learning to fly, shinglebacks, frillnecks, goannas all basking in the sun, flocks of bright green budgerigars all roosting for the evening. I saw brolgas dancing in dust storms and oh, the tragedy of kangaroos all expired by dehydration, like cardboard boxes strewn through abandoned buildings and the uncapped boars, each pumping 400 litres a minute from the artesian basin. The stories from the farmers of the gliders and the koalas that climbed up the blades of the D10 uh, tractors in, into the cab as the land was being cleared. The roadkill, the roadkill and even more roadkill. Anyway, I, I went about arranging to meet with the landholders who'd kindly send me in the direction where they there might be koalas on their 10,000 hectare properties. I gleaned a lot of hot tips like, avoid the tire-piercing spikes protruding from the soil. These were the remains of the clear fell mulga, a hardwood acacia. The directions would generally sound something like this. Go west along the fence line for about eight k's, then you'll come to a tree, then turn south until you come to the old pig trap. Don't stop there because it's a dangerous, especially if there's a live one in it. Keep going until you come to the old shearer's quarters on your left and then you come to the channel country proper. That's where you usually find them. The folk were generally spot on. I'd arrive, I'd stake the place out and set up camp. The days were spent setting out plots. I called it lassoing trees. Measuring the diameter at breast height of each of the tree in the plot. I called this hugging trees. <laughs> Searching for koala scats or poo under each and every one of the trees. Out there I found myself in plenty of situations where I needed to deploy the superpowers. For example, people pleasing. About once a month a 20-something honours student named Grey Nomad, GMAD herein, would come to meet me and together we'd complete spotlighting surveys, obviously at night, in koala habitat and along creek beds. My preference was to conduct these surveys on foot. However, this one night GMAD was tired and concerned that we might get rained on and asked that I drive the ute along while they hung out the window with the spotlight. I agreed but I was reserved. Rain, mulga, I was even a bit scared. We embarked about 10 p.m. and soon we came to a dip in the landscape where it wasn't really clear what the terrain was like in front. So I asked GMAD to get out of, the, out of the ute and check the path. They returned to the ute and reported back, all clear. So we proceeded down the short, sudden, steep descent and thud, bogged. All four wheels were up to the axles. There was no traction back 
and no traction forward. No winch, just regret. <laughs> Deploy problem solving. We dug and we packed and we dug and we packed. Trying to free ourselves for hours. The whole time GMAD was harping on about when the rain came, we'd be washed away. GMAD calculated using the backtrack on the GPS that we'd travelled about 4Ks from the abandoned homestead where we'd camped earlier. That fact of distance thwarted any ideas of going back to scavenge for resources to help us out of the bind. At about 3am, GMAD decided it was no use and left on foot to get some kip back at the camp. Over-responsibility. With the threat of rain coming and an overworked sense of self-responsibility, I stayed. Determined to free the ute from the bog or else. The sun began to rise at about 4.30am and in the light I could see the homestead. It was only about 500 metres away as the crow flies. <laughs> Not the 4Ks that GMAD said. Anyway, resilience and self-reliance. I ran over to the sheds of the homestead to see what thing I might find to get us out of the slop. My eyes popped with joy. There were two metal ramps. I hauled them over with spots of rain. I hurried across the prickly salt bush, over hill, down dale, back to the bog. It took me about 30 minutes to complete the bridge. I wasn't entirely happy with it, but this was no time for the superpower perfection. GMAD arrived with sleep still in their eyes and we hightailed out of there. No koalas were seen. Anyway, the, the days grew into summer and eventually became just too hot to continue with this sort of work at, in the 52 degree heat. So hugging a three litre block of ice, I called my boss and made arrangements to finish up. The journey home was quite surreal after all the excitement and exposure. And uh, on the way home, I came upon this kangaroo. It had been hit. I noticed as I drew closer to it that it was lame, but it was still clawing its way off the road. Anyway, I um, now it was off the road and the breath was heaving and pounding and there was all this bright crimson blood oozing from too many wounds. I had nothing humane to help it along. Um... But who was I to determine the future of this beast anyway? So I looked the kangaroo in the eye and it was frightened and no doubt in shock. I stayed and I prayed that that animal would have a safe passage to wherever. I felt more whole, fuller, wilder and closer to self. Not desensitised, just present. Thank you. Thanks for listening. For tickets and dates, follow Queer Stories on Facebook. And for late night ramblings and pictures of my dog, Frank, follow Maeve Marsden on Twitter. For discount tickets to my shows, as well as other perks, become a supporter of my work on crowdfunding platform Patreon for as little as $4 per month. Check out MaeveMarsden.com for more information.